0: Many private organizations support U.S. federal government products and services that require processing, storing, and transmitting of sensitive federal information. That support could be in the form of providing federal agencies with credit card and other financial services, email services, conducting background checks for security clearances, processing health care claims, and furnishing cloud services. In each of these cases, and many more, these private organizations process sensitive federal data known as Controlled Unclassified Information, or CUI. In June 2015, the National Institute of Standards and Technology published guidance on how non-federal organizations should safeguard CUI. Here's how the chief author of the guidance, NIST fellow Ron Ross, defines Controlled Unclassified Information.
1: These are specific data types that have special safeguarding or dissemination requirements that are tied back to a specific law, a regulation, or a government-wide policy. So it isn't all federal data. It's only data that comes under that category, that categorization process, if you will. And so uh, NARA has defined...
0: NARA is the National Archives of Records Administration.
1: Those CUI
0: categories
1: and subcategories as part of their registry that's on their website...
0: This past week, NIST published a draft revision of the guidance, known as Special Publication 800-171, Protecting Controlled Unclassified Information in nonfederal Information Systems and Organizations. I'll get to the revised guidance in a moment. First, a bit of history. In late 2010, President Obama signed an executive order directing the National Archives and Records Administration to issue directives to nine federal organizations on how they must handle sensitive federal information. And this was charged to develop the guidance to help non-federal organizations safeguard sensitive federal government data.
1: We focus on the confidentiality aspects of that protection problem, which means protecting CUI from unauthorized disclosure. And that's a problem for us on the federal side. We want to make sure we do our job on our side. It's a similar problem when that CUI goes to a non-federal organization
0: and must be protected as well. Ross says an example of CUI is another abbreviation, PII, Personally Identifiable Information such as individuals' social security numbers, health histories, and salaries, to name a few. And it's not just PII that's considered controlled unclassified information.
1: There could be uh, contractor sensitive information. There's just a wide range of things that fall under that category. There could be law enforcement information. There could be financial uh, data. It's a very wide swath of, of data types that are part of that CUI registry in the categories. It's information that we feel deserves some specialized protection. And it's not just the run-of-the-mill information that would routinely be shared with our partners.
0: It's been just over a year since publication of the original CUI guidance. Why revise the guidance so soon? For the most part, the changes in the revision are minor ones, sort of housecleaning. The revised guidance will add definitions and terms to the glossary and hyperlinks to facilitate ease of use in navigating the document. NIST also added some minor clarifications, additions, and adjustments to selected CUI requirements. But the most significant revision in the guidance is a section on how non-federal government organizations should establish system security plans and plans of action and milestones. Doing this, Ross says, would demonstrate to federal agencies buying IT services that the non-federal organizations have adopted CUI safeguards.
1: When you are trying to satisfy a set of requirements and you're working with a very large set of private sector partners out there, they all come at this from a little bit of a different perspective and capability. There's where they are today and then where they wanna be in full compliance to the requirements. When the feds are, are doing their risk management framework process, and you have an authorizing official getting ready to make that final risk-based decision, they look at everything that's been done to protect that system. On the federal side, I'm talking now. Very seldom is everything perfect in those systems. There are always weaknesses and deficiencies and things that are not quite where you'd want to be, but we have something called a plan of action milestones document, which works with the security plan to say, the security plan basically says, this is what I intend to do, and here's how I'm going to do it. And then the plan of action milestones, I call that the get healthy document. That represents things that didn't quite go right, but you list in a priority order how you're going to fix things and when you're going to get it done. Those two documents, along with your security assessment report and all that, are used by the federal senior leaders to make risk-based decisions on whether they actually authorize that system to go into operation.
0: Ross says in the revised guidance, the system security plans give private sector partners the opportunity to tell the government what they've done to protect CUI. And the plans of action and milestones allow the non-federal organizations to explain how they intend to implement the CUI safeguards that have yet to be applied.
1: That allows a a communication Tool, if you will, a vehicle to use between the private sector folks. This is could be state and local governments. It could be private sector contractors to communicate with the federal government as to where they are, and and then they can the feds can use that either to make a risk-based decision to proceed with the contractor or the agreement or. If things are not looking as good as they would like and they feel it's too much risk, they cannot pursue the contract or not do the agreement. It kind of puts everybody in an accountability state, if you will. It's truth in advertising. It doesn't mean that every federal contract has to stop because every organization on the non-federal side doesn't meet every requirement right now. This is helping us manage the transition as we try to raise the bar of security. It's a subtle change because it's only one requirement, and the requirement doesn't say you have to submit that SSP to the feds, but it does say that if the feds need more information they can ask for that document along with the plan of action milestones document to help them make a better risk-based
0: decision. The revised draft guidance is out for comment from this stakeholders. Ross and his team will review stakeholder comments on the guidance in the coming weeks. He says he expects the revised draft guidance to become a full-fledged special publication this fall. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Eric Chabro.